Graham the standalone to the left. Snap Trubisky in a fade left front corner of the end zone. Caught for the touchdown. Over the top of the defender. Had no chance. Touchdown Bears. At a 13-0 lead. Jimmy Graham collects another red zone touchdown. Number six this season. And number 80 in his great career. A six-yard touchdown from Trubisky to Graham. You're listening to The Joe O Show on 670 The Score. Can one win against a terrible football team flip the season? We'll see. Let's see what they do with the next three games, even though it felt like after 12 that everything was decided. Everybody was getting fired. They're cleaning house. We all know better than that. You've watched this team your entire life. We all know that is not how they operate. Joe Ostrowski with you. Sports Radio 670. The score. Want to welcome in Brian Perez from the Bears Wire. At Brian Perez NFL on Twitter. It's been a while since I spoke with Brian. I don't think we've had an opportunity to speak, at least during the season. And he joins me on the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. How you been, Brian? Hope, uh, Hope you're well. Doing all right, Joe. You know, considering the circumstances we're all kind of living through right now, can't complain, man. Hope you're doing well, too. Yes. Uh, and, boy, Bears fans did not have a lot to complain about on Sunday, so I think they felt all out of sorts. I did a little bit because it became a ritual. It was just out of habit. Every single Sunday, there, there was something terrible going on, especially when they are on national TV. I can't believe... Uh, but we're here just because I, I think it's because of the way it happened, the way the six game losing streak, the 56 days without a victory, whatever it ended up being. It's wild. I, I mentioned earlier in the show that it feels like we're just after week one and it's overreaction Monday when talking about the NFL, that this one win could have possibly flipped everything, but it was the way it happened, how how Mitchell Trubisky had one of those great Mitch games we see two to three times every year. You're right, and unfortunately, it's creating a new narrative around this team where, you know, for five, six games in a row during this team's losing streak, it was the end of the Matt Nagy era, finally moving on from Mitch Trubisky, fire Ryan Pace. And in the span of just four quarters, you know, the Bears fan base is kind of like, well, you know, maybe, maybe one more run with these guys. Maybe give Mitch a team-friendly one-year deal just to see if, if this offensive line improves like it has over the last couple of games. And we're seeing Mitch play a little better as a result, running game playing a little better as a result. Maybe you don't want to give up on him, you know, one year too early. But, I mean, this is the false high. This is the false positive. This is like the plane has hit the ground and it's bouncing off the runway and everybody feels like it's going back up in the air again. But the reality is this team has crashed already. And fans have to understand that, be okay with some of these wins. It always feels good to win on a football Sunday considering how much Bears fans commit their time, their passion, their energy to this team. But let's not forget who they beat. The Houston Texans are one of the worst teams in the NFL, and that's with all of their starters. They didn't have all of those guys who contributed to making them one of the worst teams already on Sunday. So the Bears simply outclassed a terrible team. What you saw was a below-average team beating up on an absolutely terrible team. It doesn't mean that what we saw on Sunday 
is going to suddenly rewrite what we've seen the last six weeks before that game. Brian, even if uh, if Trubisky <clears throat> stays healthy and he plays out the rest of the season, he's going to go through the 2020 season without seeing a good defense. It, it's, pre- it's pretty remarkable, man. And I, I felt at the time that part of the full switch happened because Matt Nagy saw, okay, Colts, Bucks, Saints, Rams all around the corner. I don't want Mitch to face those teams. You know, I, I don't know what more we need to see or even say about Mitch at this point. Mitch is yeah. who he is. You're going to get three or four good performances from him if he's your starting quarterback for 16 games. And the rest of the time, you're going to start every week with your fingers crossed, say a little prayer, hope he can manage <laughs> the game, read a defense for four quarters maybe, and throw some NFL-quality passes when his receivers are open. And when that's the kind of pre-game thought process that you have going into an NFL Sunday, you have to realize he's not the guy. We've had four years of this guy behind center, four years to suddenly let one really good game, which is part of maybe a handful of really good games since he's been a pro, suddenly change the scouting report on him would be football malpractice. It would be malpractice for the Chicago Bears to say, well, look what Mitch did against the Houston Texans in week 14 and what he did against, you know, other teams, the Minnesota Vikings and other teams that are not going to have these quality defenses that the bears are going to see um, down the stretch and, and suddenly, you know, reward him with another year or two. The only way Joe, I could see that being a possibility is if the bears pull the ultimate bears level of, you know, end of year, uh, yeah, let, let's say they would go seven and nine or they go eight and eight and they have played themselves out of the quarterback market in the draft. There may not be a better option than Mitch Trubisky coming back on a one-year deal and hoping at that point, maybe you catch lightning in the bottle. Maybe he has the Ryan Tannehill second act that he turns it around and who knows, but if they finish seven and nine or eight and eight, they've done the ultimate bears move and they've played themselves out of that, that blue chip quarterback range and will be left with probably no other option but to either roll, you know, break the bank and trade for a guy like Dak Prescott or just bring back Mitch, have a lame duck season at quarterback, a lame duck season at head coach, and a lame duck season at GM, and see what happens going into the 2022 draft. Yeah, you know I agree with a lot of what you said there. And if you're the Bears fan saying, okay, Mitch just needed a little more time, just needed time to develop, yeah, your sample size is knocking on 50 games now, man. Like, we know what Mitch is. But the reason that I believe it's part of the conversation, and you alluded to it right there, Brian, is because you have a head coach still under contract for two more years. George doesn't want to go to mom and say, I was wrong again. We need to clean house. We need another general manager. Uh, maybe we should create a position for a president of football ops. I think everyone would be on board with that. And we'll let the new GM decide that if he wants to keep the head coach, we're paying a lot of money for the next two years. I mean, th- that's why I-, I think all of this is a conversation that if they go eight and eight again, kind of similar to the Falcons last year after back-to-back seven and nines, I can totally see this organization saying, let's run it back one more time. And, and, and they could argue, like, you know, Matt Nagy hasn't had a losing season. I mean, there exactly. are coaches who do far worse than Matt Nagy who get more time than three years. 
So, I mean, you look at a guy like Adam Gase, he keeps getting hired and, and other <laughs> new gigs and all this stuff, and the guy's he's atrocious as a head coach. You know, Matt Nagy is head and shoulders above a guy like Gase, even if it's just for culture creation, locker room leadership, that kind of thing, and he hasn't had a losing season yet. So you could see or, or understand where that type of argument would be made. And also, we are in the rarest and most unique upcoming offseason in league history with the impact that COVID has had on the bottom line for these franchises, the last thing a team is going to want to do is eat millions of dollars in head coach and GM salaries for after an eight and eight season. I mean, if this team was three and 13, they literally have no choice, but if they finish eight and eight, it would make financial sense in a year where finances are completely out of whack and even it can be explained with some football logic to keep these guys around. So I think the bottom line is going to play into this, too. And if we circle back real quick, Joe, to the whole Mitch Trubisky development thing, if Bears fans want to understand what it's supposed to look like when you draft a quarterback high in the first round who's raw, maybe a little rough around the edges, but develops year over year into a blue-chip franchise guy, Look at what's going on in Buffalo with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Allen came into the league a raw, strong-armed, athletic prospect, had some ups and downs. There were some questions about him after year one, going through year two. Is he just a runner playing the position? And look at how he's blossomed through the first three years of his career as a lethal passer of the football, a lethal athlete, one of the top three or four quarterbacks probably young quarterbacks, I should say, in the league right now. That's what it's supposed to look like. So when you see what Mitch Trubisky has done, which is literally has regressed, if not just stayed neutral for four years, and compare that to what you're seeing with Josh Allen in Buffalo, it should be the final argument in the case against Mitch Trubisky coming back in 2021. Yes. I was thinking earlier this year that everything we're seeing from Josh Allen in Buffalo is what we thought we were going to get eventually with Mitchell Trubisky, and we're and we're not there. Um, it's and I don't even want to hear the argument about how great Diggs is. You're right, he's great. Allen Robinson is great too. Like he has the number one weapon as well. It's it's been amazing what Allen has been able to do. A legit. He he's not in the conversation this year, but he'll you know he'll be on some people's votes. He'll get some votes for MVP, maybe second, third place. That's how good he's been. It's amazing. Uh, Joe Ostrowski with Brian Perez. Yeah. I'm sorry, Joe, but it boggles my mind that arguably the best player, the guy who single-handedly keeps this offense on the field, um, is not under contract for multiple years. I mean, if you were able to say here going into the offseason, the emergence of David Montgomery, which is really nice to see, Cole Komet finally coming around, you kind of have that the triplets with even an Alan, with Alan Robinson as your alpha wide receiver. I mean, call me a cynic, but I don't see him coming back. I mean, if you go into the offseason, they're not going to franchise him. I don't see that happening. They're not going to tag and trade him. It's, it's just not going to happen. And if Allen Robinson sniffs the open market, goodbye. He's gone. So if, if Ryan Pace's future was actually in question, don't you think that he would have gotten this deal done earlier this year? I think Ryan Pace thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, Joe. And I think Ryan Pace loves his draft picks. And I think Ryan Pace, for as good as Darnell Mooney has been, and Darnell Mooney is a good-looking young player. That, that, 
He's got a chance to be one of the league's best route runners. He's got a chance to be one of the league's best playmakers after the catch. He just hasn't had a quarterback who could really take advantage of his skill set yet. I wouldn't be surprised if the thought process going on in Ryan Pace's head right now is that he thinks Darnell Mooney has so much upside that he can go into next season and bring in another mid-tier, mid-level free agent wide receiver at half the price of Allen Robinson. They have some young guys on the team with Javon Wims. Anthony Miller still has another year on his contract. And turn the keys over to Darnell Mooney as the main receiver in this offense and go from there and allocate money elsewhere. Put it to the offensive line. Try to fix the quarterback situation and not break the bank on and, and, you know, Joe, if you really think about this, it's not totally illogical to say how can we pay a receiver $20-plus million a year, which is what Allen Robinson should get, when we don't have a quarterback who can throw him the ball and we don't have an offensive line to protect the quarterback even if we had one. So I, you can understand from a construction, a roster construction standpoint, it might be better to rely on the fifth-round rookie who is clearly more like a first-round rookie and a, and a patchwork group of receivers around him until you fix the offensive line and quarterback. Because if you think about it, that wide receiver role, that's kind of like the missing piece to a championship run. You bring in that missing, dynamic, game-changing guy to put your offense over the top. Very rarely does a team build from the wide receiver in. You're going offensive line while well, you're going quarterback, offensive line, a good running game even, and then you bring in that alpha wide receiver who just flips everything into your favor. Allen Robinson, we're already seeing it, Joe. He's getting wasted. I mean, this guy's talent yep. is literally getting wasted in Chicago. So if, if you're going to pay him over $20 million a year, which is the going rate for a top five receiver, you better make sure you have the offensive line fixed and you have a competent quarterback who can throw him the ball. And I don't know – I mean, unless you think Ryan Pace is going to be able to put those two gigantic, fill those gigantic holes, an offensive line and quarterback, Allen Robinson's probably better off playing somewhere else. If I was his agent, if I was Allen Robinson, first things first, I have played with Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky. Find me a quarterback. I want to sign with a team who has an MVP caliber quarterback. Send me to Seattle. Send me to Green Bay. Send me to Arizona. Oh, man. Send me to one of these. Send oh. me to Buffalo. If he goes anywhere like that, you will see the true Allen Robinson. Yeah, you imagine A-Rob with one of those guys. And Ryan Pace's version of fixing the offensive line is, let me bring in a uh, first-round bust from another team. Let me throw, I'll throw a couple sevens at the offensive line, and then maybe something will hit eventually. It's, it's just, it's so silly. You know, Joe, I, I think when we really years, look at the job, we really look at the job Ryan Pace has done. You know, we really kind of step back. You really just, it's baffling, some of his draft mm-hmm. day strategy. I, I, I took some heat on Twitter the other day when I tweeted that, you know, when the Eagles named Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback and benched Carson Wentz, and I said, well, see, that's what happens when you actually swing the bat on, on quarterback prospects, even if you have a guy. You never know what's going to happen with that guy. So you swing the bat on the most important position in the game, and maybe one day you strike gold. Bears fans reacted to me like I said, like I had killed Santa Claus or something. And all because <laughs> I said, Cole, you know, they should have taken Jalen Hurts over Cole Komet in the second round. And it's not about Jalen Hurts being an elite quarterback prospect. It's just the draft day philosophy of draft a quarterback until you have a quarterback. And if you think about what the Bears did this year, instead of drafting a quarterback, they spent a fourth rounder on Nick Foles by doing the trade. 
And then they had an opportunity in the second round two times to draft Jalen Hurts, and they didn't do it. Jalen Johnson, I like to pick. Cole Komet, I like to pick. Both those guys are going to be long-term players for the Bears. But here we are going into an offseason. If, if, if the Bears were, were rolling out Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback and he did what he did for Philly last week, the Bears would suddenly have a chance to say they have a quarterback by not swinging the bat on a quarterback, by not taking offensive linemen earlier in the draft, by not addressing these needs. What ends up happening, Joe, is you're going to end up seeing a guy like Allen Robinson leave town because he kept wasting draft picks missing, not, not prioritizing the key positions. And then when you finally have a superstar like Allen Robinson, you can't truly take advantage of him because of your draft day failures. Uh, with Brian Perez, I'm Joe Ostrowski, 670, com is where you can find Brian's work. Uh, Brian, the list of uh, fireable offenses by pace continues to grow. And, you know, maybe one of the biggest ones, and we're just kind of starting to talk about how bad it is. The Robert Quinn signing, $30 million guaranteed, when all of your issues on the roster are on the offensive side of the ball, and to give that guy $30 million just so you can say, see, we upgraded, we got better than Leonard Floyd. You know, I got to say, I didn't hate it at the time. I liked it at the time, right? And, and I'm sitting here looking at Leonard Floyd. And I'm saying, what the hell is going on here in Chicago that Leonard Floyd can suddenly be a sack monster in Los Angeles? Look like the first-round pick that he was supposed to be for the Bears. Robert Quinn comes to, from, to Chicago from Dallas after having a double-digit sack season and is literally rendered neutral, like non-existent. And I'm really, these guys are speed guys, right? They're speed off the edge. They're speed off the snap. They beat offensive tackles to the edge, and they get to the quarterback. And Cam Worrell, the former safety of the Bears, a couple weeks ago tweeted something very interesting that maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, maybe I don't want to say a guy like Robert Quinn is a totally complete flop of a player, but Cam Worrell tweeted that Soldier Field is the place where speed goes to die. And I'm looking at some of the players who have had success outside of Soldier Field with other teams, whether it's draft day busts that have gone on on other organizations that have done well, or players who have come to Chicago after having a speed-based profile and didn't really pan out. And I do think the Bears have to start looking into the turf at Soldier Field because while Robert Quinn, you know, that that sounds like the ultimate excuse being made for Robert Quinn is that Soldier Field turf is making him ineffective because, hey, look, they play games at other places, and he's not doing well there either. So I get it. Um, but that's something that, that, you know, I might write about on Bears Wire coming up, is this, this theory of these speed rushers. Cleo Mack is effective because Cleo Mack can beat offensive linemen any way he wants to. Power, speed, a nuanced pass rush. He's not, he doesn't depend on just beating a guy off the snap. He's just a, a superhuman freak, so he can win in a multitude of ways. But when you have players who just rely on that speed element of their game, it seems like it doesn't work with the Bears. I mean, it's one thing with Leonard Floyd being a bust in yeah. Chicago and now having eight, was eight and a half sacks, nine sacks or more. I don't even know what he's at now with the Rams. Robert Quinn had 10, 11 sacks last year, has won with the Bears. Something doesn't add up here. Leonard Floyd, we could have said he's a bust. Now it's Leonard Floyd and Robert Quinn back-to-back, both failing opposite of Cleo Mack. Is it the defensive coordinator, the defensive scheme? This goes deeper than just the player, in my opinion. This is a scheme issue. It's a turf issue. It's something more because Robert Quinn is an established pro pass rusher. 
and he stinks this year. I mean, he just flat out stinks. Is it him that stinks, or is this a deeper organizational issue where they can't figure out how to generate pass rush opposite Khalil Mack? I don't understand. Even Khalil Mack has struggled to put up like that 15-sack season that we were all expecting. So there's something deeper here, and I I can't put my finger on what it is. Um, But certainly, Joe, to circle back to your original point, Robert Quinn is – uh, making Ryan Pace look even more fireable with every week that goes by. He doesn't even sniff the quarterback. And last week there was a gift that went out on Twitter or something with him getting absolutely demolished at the line of scrimmage. So it's it's going from bad to worse for him as the weeks go by. But this is the real head scratcher. Someone's got to figure this out because the fact that no matter who they put opposite Cleo Mack can't get the job done, it seems like a systemic issue more than a single player issue. Leonard Floyd, seven and a half sacks on the year already, a career high for him after 13 games. And that the turf issue is interesting because George McCaskey has been asked about this in the past, and he and he talks about all the studies they've done, and a lot of it is for, for the players, for the safety. And when when they had more outspoken players, when they were winning more, and the players, you know, and the little gravitas or that they could speak out, like that was a weekly thing. Bears players complaining about the turf at Soldier Field. We haven't heard that in the last few years, so that's that's an interesting angle. I hope you you end up doing a piece on that. Uh, offensively, is is it Bill Lazor is a much better play caller than Matt Nagy, or they're just taking advantage and scoring more points against some weaker defenses? Now, I think it all starts at the offensive line, Joe. I, I think the best laid plan fails when you have an offensive line that doesn't work well together and they've put some patchwork streets you know unsigned rookie free agent street guys second year guys in the lineup and look there's something to be said about those guys joe when guys are hungry when guys are fighting for a career when guys are trying to break through and make a name for themselves those guys and you know notre dame offensive linemen i mean you got to be a good offensive lineman to be able to play at Notre Dame, to be able to play big-time college football. So it's not like these guys are scrubs who are stepping in and starting and performing and playing at a high level, and they're hungry. They have something to prove. Those are the guys you want out there on a weekly basis. And I'm not saying that, you know, the guys that they've replaced haven't been that way, but when offensive linemen get complacent, you know, these big guys, if they're not playing mean and angry, you see the results. And I think with the offensive line has been playing so much better over the last couple of games, look no further than David Montgomery. I mean, look, that run call by Bill Lazor doesn't work if there's no hole. If there is the blocking, if the blocking <laughs> assignments are not completed by the offensive lineman, David Montgomery is not running for an 80-yard touchdown. He's getting tackled two, lines, two yards behind the line of scrimmage like we saw for 10 or 11 games before this little burst, this little breakout from Montgomery. So it all starts with the offensive line, which is, again, why I think that has to be the priority over everything else this offseason, whether it's the draft or free agency. They have to have blue chippers added to the offensive line. And then when the offensive line is blocking well like it has over the last couple of games, a play caller like Bill Lazor can dial up kind of whatever he wants, and it's going to look better. You know, everybody's saying, oh, the Bears have an identity now. They're running the ball. It's not that they have an identity running the ball. They're just doing it better because the offensive line is blocking. Let's not forget, Montgomery only had, what, 11 carries? That's not an identity. Bill Lazor is not giving him the ball 24, 25 times. That's an identity. If he was doing that, and we were sitting here saying, 
wow, look at what he's done for David Montgomery. He's taking advantage of his skill set. He's letting this banger between the tackles who has enough juice to flip the field. He's giving him 23, 24 carries. And on that, that 17th, 18th carry, he's breaking that big run. He's wearing down the defense. The Bears have an identity. That's not what's happening. I mean, every time Cordero Patterson released David Montgomery or they do some of these quirky plays, it's like they're flipping through the Madden playbook and just picking whatever the artificial intelligence recommends for that moment. So I don't think that we're seeing anything different than what has been done before, aside from a better offensive line playing against, like you said earlier, Joe, some weaker defenses. So, of course, the, the effect, the, the outcome is an offense that looks better. But, again, it's a false positive. It's a false high. This team is never going to get beyond 7-9 and nine to 9-7 nine and seven with the key pieces that they have in place, namely Mitch Trubisky. We'll have to reconvene after the season because I, I, I don't think we'll, we'll get an opportunity to speak um, after today once the season wraps or before the season wraps. How, how's this going to close out, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Green Bay? It's going to close out exactly as every Bears fan probably has uh, worried about uh, since the losing streak began. The Bears were going to lose enough to become a, you know, a, I don't want to say a laughing stock of the league, but clearly the butt of some jokes. Um, But then they're going to win just enough to not be able to fix it. Um, and what that basically means is they're going to lose to the point where the, the late December, early January game is irrelevant because they're going to get eliminated from the playoffs. But they're going to win enough to keep the Band-Aid on, to get outside the quarterback range, and to stay in football purgatory. So I'm looking – I'm saying 8-8. Eight and eight. You know, if they go 8-8, eight and eight, that, that is a back-to-back, vanilla, blah, waste of a year. Um Yep. And I don't know if that'll be enough to get in the playoffs, but even if they do with that seventh wild card, is that a badge of honor, Joe? I mean, is that something that Bears fans are, hey, we made the playoffs. Well, in 2019, you wouldn't have made the playoffs. Like, this, is, this is like a strange, bizarre, we have to adjust to this new playoff format because there are going to be some bad teams. There's, there's going to be a bad team in the AFC most likely and a bad team in the NFC most likely that take advantage of that seventh seed. Maybe it's a division winner like the NFC East this year, but that's an anomaly. The seventh seed wildcard team, it's not what we've traditionally become used to as a playoff squad. That's kind of what the Bears are. They're just on the outside looking in. They're going to stay there for a long time until they fix the quarterback situation. Per usual, we're on the same page, man. I, I said it on Sunday. They're, they're going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. And you, you didn't go this far, but I'm going this far. They're going to talk themselves into thinking that they've got something here or they just need things to break their way. Let's create more turnovers like we did in 2018. And, and oh, look, we'll, we'll figure it out. They're going to run this whole thing back, man. Maybe there's well, an addition realize, up top. Joe, yeah. Joe, you realize how close this team is to being, you know, the come oh, from yeah. behind with DeAndre Swift dropping a touchdown, the, the win over the Falcons, the, Daniel Jones almost came back and beat them. In week three, I mean, that's three of their six wins. You could argue they shouldn't have had, right? Now, you could also say, well, they should have beat Detroit a couple weeks ago, whatever it was. But we could very easily be staring at a team right now that was 3-10. and 10. So, like, fans have yep. to understand this. Like, don't buy into the false high and suddenly give this team the opportunity to have a pass going into the offseason because <laughs> Mitch is a really nice guy. 
because Nagy is a really good leader and a culture builder, and he's a really nice guy. The NFL, unfortunately, is not about how nice you are. It's about how productive you are and how many games you can win. You don't want a bunch of turds in the locker room. You don't want guys that you can't cheer for because they're bad character dudes. But they got to win. you gotta, you got to have a winner. And, you know, the Bears are, are this close. And if you could see me, I know we're on radio, but my fingers are making a very <laughs> small gap. They're this close to being a 3-10 and 10 team. So mm-hmm. you got, like, that, that's, not, that's not it. And if the Bears want to keep their fans loyal and aligned and as diehard as they've always been, they have to give them what they want, and it's sweeping changes in the offseason. Wow. You know, watching this league, when you run it back when you shouldn't, the league will tell you what you really are. And maybe yep. you won't have that l- lucky 5-1 and one start. So maybe if they do decide to do that, we'd have to wait another year for that to happen. And then, yeah, let, let's start over. And the unfortunate part would be them wasting another season. Brian Perez, at Brian Perez NFL on Twitter. Find his work, BearsWire.com. Brian, enjoyed the conversation as always. Uh, if I don't talk to you, have a great holidays. Joe, you too, man. Thanks for having me. Brian Perez, good stuff there from Brian. Set me straight. Joe, don't stray. Stay strong. You know this is fake. Don't do it. Don't fall for it. But it doesn't mean that the Bears are going to think that it's real. See, that's the real part of this conversation. What What is George thinking? What is Virginia telling George in response? When they were pissed off driving back from Green Bay once again. That's the fascinating part of all this. And Ted Phillips, Ted Phillips providing so much cover for George. We're, we had all this hot air this season. When you're mad at the Bears, people start screaming about Ted Phillips. So not talking about George, talking about Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips provides cover right provides cover right now. You remove him, now the heat's on George much more. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. That She's is the off. number to call. <laughs> the call or text. 312-644-6767. Coming up next, uh, Chris Bryant rumors, maybe, possibly. I don't know. There's an organization out there. The manager says yes. The GM says no. We'll fill you in on the other side. Joe Osho, 670 The Score and the Radio.com app. First pitch to Bryant. Drilled in the air, left field. Deep down the line of its fair. It's going to be gone. That ball is... A grand slam home run for Chris Bryant. Right down the left field line. We had to wait fair by only a foot or two. A towering drive. And the Cubs now lead 5-2. to two. The great hat, Pat Hughes uh, on the call there. So, yeah, we're going to talk about Chris Bryant a little bit here. Joe Ostrowski with you, Sports Radio. 670, the score. There was confusion coming out of Nationals camp today. Some confusion here. So here's a story, and it involves their general manager and their man and their manager. Now we'll get to Mike Rizzo. We have audio from him in just a moment. So Davey Martinez, it gets out that he says Chris Bryant is a name that definitely comes up in conversation. Manager of the Nationals says that. Chris Bryant? Yeah, his name definitely comes up in conversations. Well, here's their GM, Mike Rizzo. As far as your big bat is concerned, Davey mentioned that Chris Bryant's name has come up. Is that just an acknowledgement that he's 
on the last year of his deal, and he's kind of, you know, that name is, is out there. Uh, we haven't had a serious conversation about Chris Bryan in, in probably two years. So, you know, he was, oh. he was not, he was not a, he was not a big guy on our radar uh, last year or this year. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that's, he's a, he's a great player. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, at, at this point in time with wh where we're at and what we have in, uh, in our farm system and, uh, and where, where we're going, we, we, we think we could allocate our dollars uh, and, uh and prospect capital in a better way. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, we're not having that conversation. So did they find out the price and then say, yeah, uh, as far as a real trade? No, no, that ain't happening. So I'm wondering, a lot of people just got a lot of headlines today saying, oh, somebody's lying here, right? That's a natural reaction. Maybe somebody isn't. Maybe David Martinez is right when he says that Chris Bryant's name comes up, but maybe Rizzo's also right when he says serious conversation in two years has not happened. Doesn't say his name doesn't come up in conversation. Do you see where I'm going, Sean Anderson, with this? And maybe they're both right. Yeah, I, I mean, especially Davey, maybe, maybe he's just going back to, like, you know, Tony LaRusso when he was just naming the black people he managed. Like, you know, Davey, oh Dave God. Martinez also managed Chris Bryant, so it's a guy that he can call back to and be like, oh, I, I managed Chris but Bryant. But don't you think don't you think every team uh, that plans on being active in the market, don't you think they talk about a lot of different players? Yeah, I, w I, would, I would assume so, and I think Davey probably know, just is going back to who he knows the most. So when he's having these baseline conversations with Rizzo, he's probably going and bringing up Bryant because he because he was in Chicago for so long. And then Rizzo's probably, you know, talking to the Cubs, like you're saying, and knows the actual price. And then it's probably just too much of their out, out of their uh, their entire you know uh, price to pay. So here's what uh, with the Cubs deciding to wait and they waited. Don't say pandemic. They couldn't trade Chris Bryant. They decided before the 2020 season when they were in spring training and they thought that they were getting ready to start the season, right? Before much of the season was called. They were ready to go go to war with Chris Bryant. Like he was going to be their dude for this year with only two years left going into last season. So now we know what happens. Now it's Jed's team. And you have Chris Bryant and you have one year of control. And you have the injuries over the last number of years. Teams know he's a Scott Boris guy. Probably going to test the market when he becomes a free agent in a year. Yeah, when he's healthy, he's great. When he's healthy, he's in that range of five to eight wins. When he's healthy. He hasn't been healthy a lot lately. When you look at 2019 and 2020, I think that's fair to do when you talk about players now. Because a lot of really good good ones struggled last season and you know they're going to bounce back this year at least you would hope so so the cubs are hoping with javi Baez at least right um at 2019 and 2020 if you look at f4 fangraphs war bryant was at 5.3 in 181 games where does that put him is that in superstar range no it's not no it's not Here, here's where that puts you at 5.3 these are the players around him at 5.4, just a little bit better. Almost the same amount of games. Max Kepler, right under Bryant at 
Max Muncie, Corey Seager, Ozzy Albies, Pete Alonzo, Loriano. 5.1 is Anthony Rizzo. Um, Sean Anderson, like, we should stop saying Chris Bryant's a superstar, right? He's, he hasn't been for a few years. Uh, I, 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 I don't he can know. be. He has that ceiling, but the, what the market is going to dictate is, is how teams feel. So is he going to get you a superstar return for one year? My, my point is, and I'm a big Chris Bryant fan, and unfairly criticized a lot in this city. But he's not going to get you superstar return for this one year with, with all the issues with health, one year of control, injuries, and Boris. That's all I'm getting at. Right, but let me just ask this then. Like, who do you think has more trade value, Baez or Bryant? For me, Bryant. Okay, and I, and I would say that you know most people would probably label Baez as a superstar, and you went through the list. Bryant's 36 on F4, and then Javi Baez is down to 56. He's below Rizzo. So I, that, that's why we're, we're, I know. we're like, it's tough to be like he's not a superstar, but I don't think Max Kepler is going to be winning, winning an MVP. I don't think, uh, you know, Max Muncy will point. either, but I'll look at Chris Bryant and Corey Seager uh, in that area. You could even probably throw Pete Alonzo or even Paul Goldschmidt in there. Like, I think those guys. You know, they, they have that next level in them. I would just say that injuries held them back. So I, I don't know if, you know, maybe the Cubs overvalue them because of the MVP and the, the World Series ring, but I don't think that's yes. unjust for them to, to, to have that value instilled into Bryant. Well, then you're going you're gonna to end the season with him on your roster, or you're at least going to take it to the trade deadline, right? If you're not contending, and maybe you are again, the division win last year was a bit of a surprise to many, but that's what's going to happen. And then what are you going to get? A compensatory pick for him. Yoan Moncada, the last two years, two full wins better than Chris Bryant. Two. That's big. <laughs> it's a big gap. I get what you're saying. And I know and I know you would let Baez go. And that's what it's it's what it's always been. And the Cubs want to say it isn't. But now with the pandemic and all the money they've lost, they've already been crying poor for the better part of a year. There is no doubt in anyone's mind it's coming down to what we've always said it would come down to. Are you going to keep Baez or are you going to keep Bryant? It, it sounds like the Cubs have made their answer that they're keeping Bryant. It also seems like there's nothing coming on the Wilson Contreras front either because we haven't heard much about that one either. And now James McCann's yeah. off the board. Will that domino fall once Real Muto signed? That's something we have to wait and see. Yes, definitely. Um, now, some some uh, another baseball nugget that we need to talk about is the start of the 2021 season could be delayed. And it certainly seems like that's where we're going. We'll give you some details on that on the other side. But maybe not a late March, early April opening day like many of us expected when the season wrapped and the Dodgers became the champions. Maybe not. And could it lead to a shorter season every single year? I think that's definitely a possibility. Get to that on the other side. Joe Ostrowski here, 670, the score in the radio.com app. Joe 
Joe, show 670, the score. Take a look at college basketball quickly. Illinois hammering Minnesota. The Illini are going to be 5-2 and two on the season because with less than seven minutes left, they are up 75-48. That's the team right now. Talk about the White Sox, but that's the team that has the best shot at winning a championship in this state. Then it's the White Sox. If the Illini don't win the title, March Madness will happen some way, somehow. Maybe the season will stop, but they're going to have March Madness. Maybe not in March, but they're going to have the tournament. That's the best chance. If Illini don't win it, then we move to baseball season, where I bring you. So the word today is that the owners want to delay the start of the 2021 season. They want all the players vaccinated before they go to spring training. Uh, Looking at Bob Nightingale's column from today. This from a National League owner. I don't see a snowball's chance in hell that spring training can start with protocols in place. I think there will be significant pressure for players to get the vaccine first before they go to spring training. And if that has to be moved back to April and play 130 games, so be it. Here's an AL owner. I don't see any way spring training starts in February. Zero chance of that. I don't care if we play 140 games, 120 games, or 80 games. We have to make sure everyone is safe to do this right. For years and years when the idea was brought up, and I know this is a pandemic, this is quite different. But, I mean, 80 games? You're going to miss half the season? I don't think that's going to be the case now with the vaccine. Um, But it was always, you will never shorten the season. You're not going to get off 162 because the owners won't allow it. You have to uh, bring the salaries down. They're not going to pay the same salaries that are in place for fewer games. Sure, that makes sense. But we're hearing all the owners right now, I mean, they just went through a year without getting anything from game day operations. Nobody coming through for the most part. They dealt with that. Like, we don't care. Whatever. We're doing this right and we're we're not going to mess around. Not even going to show up at spring training. So now they're saying maybe we start the season in May. Maybe. One thing we do know is you can't have the bad optics. You can't have baseball players jumping everybody else in the country to get the vaccine just so they can show up at spring training. Can't do that. And, of course, what's the union saying? Hey, we prove that we can be safe. We can do this right. Major League Baseball did a good job. There were some issues early on in the season. Remember, I believe it was the Marlins and then the Cardinals. But that, and then it was it. It was shut down. So, overall, I would say Major League Baseball did a pretty good job. But I don't think we're going to have that cold late March, early April opening day that we're used to. And I know we're having this chat because the pandemic and all that and shortening the season. But would that be the worst thing in the world? If now you have back-to-back seasons, shortened uh, campaigns, and then maybe that's the norm. Obviously not 60-game seasons. But would 130 be that terrible? Sean, would you be down for that? If we're, if we're at 140 instead of 162, sign me up. I'm good with that. 
Any anything less than one sixty two. It it's, it's, it's insane. In most years, it feels like a month too long, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it feels like September's unnecessary. So maybe yeah. we can get rid of the March early start, start in April, and then, you know, obviously outside of COVID, I keep forgetting that things, you know, it's still going on. Um, yeah, it's still going but, on. And like, you know, <laughs> when when this isn't going on, I think ideally it would be like 140 to 132 games, and you start in April, and then you end in September, and then you start baseball, or the playoffs. Yeah. Fine. Fine. I wouldn't hate it if they wanted to move the playoffs up a little bit, but some people get a little uncomfortable. It's October, it's baseball, you do that. But if you want to move it up a little bit, I'm fine with that. I mean, these these World Series keep seeping into November, and you got guys with hoodies. Like, Are, are we really getting the best teams out there, or the best teams that can play in cold weather? Got Joe Madden, how cold was he in Cleveland? Early November 2016. I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. It does feel like, especially if your team's no good, just one month away, just a little bit too long. We could uh, shave off a month, and I think we'd all be fine with it. 130? 140? I think most people are good with that. 312-644-6767. That's how you can call and text. 312-644-6767. We got to get to Monday Night Football and everything that happened, the gambling implications and everything else that went on in the field. That was so much fun. And there were so many theories about what was going on in the locker room with Lamar Jackson. Get to that next. Joe Osho, 670, the score on the radio.com app.